0: morning everyone uh welcome to uh, freedom church this morning i hope you're enjoying being with us we're going to be going back into our sermon series on david today if you want to turn to uh, 1 samuel 30 that's the passage that we're going to be looking at today um and just a recap to start us with so far um in david's story we've seen this shepherd boy kill giants, become a mighty general in the Israelite army, only to be attacked by his own king, King Saul, Uh, to the extent that he must go on the run with his family and friends. We've seen him hiding in caves to escape um, the attacks of King Saul so far. And where we catch up to him today in chapter 30 David has to run further than ever to escape King Saul, past the borders of the Israelite kingdom and on into enemy territory where he and his followers have set up home far from the reaches of Saul in a place called Ziglag in Philistia. Do you know, and up until chapter 30, despite all the challenges he has faced, David and his people have been doing uh, relatively well. Um, prospering in the land whilst not compromising on uh, the Jewish belief system that they're following to with the culture around them. But here, as David and his men return from a period of being away at war to their home in Ziglag, David suddenly experiences one of the worst days of his life. So let's begin reading together in chapter 30 and see what happened. Chapter 30, 1 to 6, we're just going to read now. Now when David and his men came to Zigglag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Zigglag. They had overcome Zigglag and burnt it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. And David's two wives had also been taken captive and Hannah, Ahanoim of Jezreel and Abigail the widow of Nabal of Carmel and David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul each for his sons and daughters. Do you know I remember as a young kid one winter uh, coming home from a Christmas treat trip to the cinema with my family. My brothers and sisters, we were laughing as we came through the door, we'd had a great time. But as we came through the door, as we walked into the house, it quickly became apparent that something was wrong. The house was far colder than it should have been. The drawers in the hallway dresser were spilled open and you could see down to the kitchen, everything was the same, it was all ruffled and a mess. Quickly, my parents said, wait here, whilst my stepdad checked the house. And eventually, we were all allowed, again, to go from room to room, only to find that everything was a mess all around the house. And loads of our favourite stuff had been taken. Our TV, uh, my personal CD player, if you remember those. Toys, presents laid out, and other items that were sellable were, were gone. And I remember clearly entering our back room where we had a big window at the back of the house and seeing that it was smashed to pieces by a brick that had been thrown through it. And as I saw these things, I remember just as a kid just being overwhelmed with a sense of injustice, of violation, of anger and of helplessness. Someone had been into my house and taken our things And as a child, I remember just thinking, well, there's nothing I can do about it. I am powerless. You know, this moment stays with me because it was a a horrible, emotional evening. uh, That in some very tiny way, really tiny way, would have reflected what David and his men experienced here. Here, David was coming home safe, looking forward to a welcome. But what he found was that the Amalekites, a tribe of people who had formed for attacking whilst their enemies were away. That was their strategy for undermining their enemies. Had been into his home and burned and stolen everything. They'd stolen all his wealth. And not only his family, but the families, the wives and the children of all of those who were following him. I wonder, just... Use your imagination for for a moment with me. Put yourself in this scene. Imagine you are one of the people riding back with David to encounter this scene. As I do this, I see how easy it would have been to become one of those followers who became so bitterly distressed that they started moaning at David and attacking him and lashing out at his leadership. I can almost hear myself say things like, David, why did you take us all off to war? Why didn't you leave someone behind to protect our wives and children? Why did you ever even bring us into this foreign land? Did you lead us down this path where we have no protection? Why didn't you just kill Saul in the cave when you had the chance? We would be ruling in Israel now, rather than coming home to a scene where all of our families have been taken. David, what are you doing? Despair would have taken over my heart, I'm pretty convinced in this moment. For David, I mean, this really must have been one of his worst days ever in life. Must have stayed with him for years and years afterwards this moment. One of the most soul-destroying, faith-challenging moments. And he had some pretty bad days, as we're going to see as we go through his life. It's not all roses being anointed by God for a task. But how he responds in this moment is nothing short of incredible. In this moment, David, rather than taking his place alongside the despairing, the complaining, critical masses, takes his place amongst the heroes of faith and gives every believer, you and me, a model to follow in life, Let's read on from 6 to 10 to see what he does and why it's so incredible. The end of verse 6 starts like this. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. And David said to Abitha the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abitha brought the ephod to David and David inquired of the Lord Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So David set out, and the six hundred men who were with him, and they came to the brook of Bezuah, where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued, he and four hundred men, Two hundred stayed behind who were just too exhausted to cross the brook of Bezir. What does David do that is so impressive here? Well, rather than despair or complain, instead he sibbo's in the Lord. Let me just be clear with you here. Sibbo is not a word in any language. I looked it up. And I'm not going to try and do what I do sometimes when I'm preaching, which is make up a word here. This is just a collection of letters S I B O. That's it, SIBO, making a sound for you. However, I want to suggest to you that even though it's not a word, to SIBO, like David does here, is one of the most important things you can ever learn to do in your Christian walk. And I don't think this is an overstatement, as will become apparent. I want to explain this a bit. What we see here, essentially, David takes four steps in response to this situation. He Sibos, S-I-B-O's. Firstly, let's have a look at this. He S strengthened himself in the Lord, verse 6. Before anything else, David, when he feels his own strength fail here, seeks to draw on the greatest source of strength in all of the universe, the living God. And he remembers the one who is higher than he is and goes to him to be encouraged, to receive fresh courage. When he is dry and thirsty, when he has terminal dehydration in his spirit, he goes to the wellspring of life whose refreshing water never runs out. And he drinks deeply until strength has returned to him. How does he do this? What does he do? Well, simply, he seeks to come into God's presence through prayer and praise. These are the tools we see David use time and time again to draw on God's spirit and remind himself who God is and robe himself again in his strength. We see multiple examples of this in the Psalms that David wrote. One great example that I just want to touch on today is Psalm 69, which states, um, just as it starts with a heart-wrenching plea, this, Psalm 69, 1 verse 1, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink deep in the mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. David is in deep distress here at the start of this psalms. His resources have failed. Yet As we walk through the psalm, he starts to seek and remember God as he pours out his heart before him. Verse 6, let not those who hope in you ever be put to shame. Through me, O God of hosts. 13, but as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. At an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. And by the end of the psalm, his heart again is resounding in refreshed, faith-filled worship. 32. You who seek God, let your hearts revive, for the Lord hears the needy. 34. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything in that moves in them, for God will save his people. Read this psalm when you have the chance, it is brilliant. The change from beginning to end as David seeks and encounters his God in prayer and praise is incredible. You watch him go from a weary mire, the dirt and the mud and the worldly situation he's in, to remembering who God is and sitting in the heights of trust again with him. Do you know, At the end of 2018, I probably had one of the, the toughest times that I have ever had in my life. There were prolonged pressures and personal attacks in my workplace. I had a very sick father at the time that meant I was regularly travelling four hours a day to support my wonderful sister in his care. And My wife at the time was preparing for an incredibly tough set of exams whilst we still looked after our three kids and I worked as part of the team at Freedom Church to support and lead the church. Do you know, it's nothing like David's challenge here, but still, in this situation, my strength, my resources quickly were used up and I was overwhelmed. Do you know, I remember walking with Chris Butland, one of the other areas, uh, other areas one of the other elders in this church, uh, and him saying to me, Matt, just be careful, you're a little on the edge here and I'm watching out for you. Do You know, and the truth of this situation for me is that I, I would have folded and gone under if i hadn't also used the tools that david exemplifies here of prayer and praise you know whenever i felt overwhelmed with anxiety and the situation started to overwhelm me you know early morning coffee and the psalms and bathing myself once more in the the reservoir of truth and love and his person And allowing his infinite strength to come and strengthen my spirit was the thing that healed me in these times and restored my courage. Do you know, the truth is I I don't do this in life. I don't come and strengthen myself in the Lord in this way as much as I should in life. But in this time, following David's example here of strengthening myself in the Lord through prayer and praise really did carry me through. This is the first part of the Sibbo, S. David strengthened himself in the Lord's strength in a time of need. Secondly, we come to I. David inquired of the Lord. I is for inquired of the Lord. We see this in verse 8. Following on, drawing drawing on from God's strength, David doesn't here just rush out in his newfound courage. He doesn't just dart off, assuming that he knows the will of God in the situation. Instead, what we see here is that David pauses and he calls for the priest and the ephod. The ephod was a priestly garment that contained Urim and Thummimim. Stones or sticks which were white and black and could be used to shed light on God's will to a simple yes or no situation. And they were used in the early years of the kingdom of Israel to understand God's will. And David here asks the question of the ephod, shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? Uh, I find this pause to ask this question actually quite amazing. And it really challenges the way I approach situations. I'm sure here that everything in David, when he got his strength and courage back from the Lord, just wanted to rush off with his fierce band of men and fighting brothers and get the guys who had wronged him and had his family and he wanted to get his wealth back. Imagine the sense of injustice that would have been in his spirit about what had been done to him and that immediacy of need he would have had to go and fix the problem and bring his family back to safety. But in his strength, David does not presume that just because he wants to do something that it is the will of God for him to do it. He does not presume to know the mind of God. Instead, even in this time-pressured moment of fear and anxiety, he hits the pause button to ensure that he is doing what God wants. David here, by using the God-given means of the ephod in the day, was showing an extraordinary submission to God's greater wisdom and knowledge in all circumstances. And showing in the clearest of fashion the faith that he had that God's ways were higher than his ways. I think above all other things in David's life, it is this that challenges me personally the most. He has and shows a pattern of humility and faith in his dealings with God and man, where he never simply presumes that... He knows the the will of God already. I mean, this is really clearly drawn out later in 2 Samuel when his son Absalom steals the kingdom from him in later life. Do you know, instead what David does rather than presumes is he places his trust in God, that God always does what is best, even when his will is not known for him. And he repeatedly seeks God as well in difficult moments. And when he forgets to do this, he later repents for not doing it. Do you know, as I look at this approach, it challenges my personal arrogance so deeply and how presumptive I am that just because I am a Christian and God loves me, that I know his will always. So often I rush in and miss just hitting the pause button and inquiring of the Lord as David does here. So the first, the S is for strength. The second we see is that he inquires to truly know and submit to God's will. And thirdly and fourthly, I've got to be a, a bit careful here, he bows to the Lord. b I'm not saying David had B-O, although they didn't have deodorant in the day to my knowledge, so that may have been an issue for him. And this is believes and obeys. He believes and obeys. You know, David, to his inquiry, we see in verse 8, gets the clearest of answers from God. Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. God says, look, go for it. Chase them down and through me we will rescue everything that was taken from you. And as we read on, no time is wasted in verse 9. It simply says, so David set out after the Amalekites. There's no double guessing in David here just a total sense that David goes, right, now I know God's will. I'm getting involved in his rescue plan. I'm going to run after him. And off he goes, no more pausing, simply believing he actively obeys what the Lord has spoken and starts pursuing here straight away. Listen, if you're following our current Bible study on the book of James, Three Minute James, online, you will know that what David displays here is the type of faith that God wants the church to have in him. A faith that hears his word, but doesn't just stop there, then actively believes and obeys. Leading to a change in the fabric of the way that we live our lives. James puts it like this bluntly, as he always does. James 1.22, be doers of the word, not just hearers only. Or 2.17, faith by itself, if it does not result in words and action, is dead. It's lifeless, it's fruitless, it is unproductive. He doesn't mince his words. You know, Jesus told a parable of two sons that really captures a similar thing, where a father asked two sons to work in a vineyard and one says he will go but never goes where the other says he won't but then later goes to do the work his father has requested the one who heard his father said he'd go but did nothing is not the hero of this story because he never did what his father asked he never put his faith in his father, his trust in his father's command he never went and worked in the vineyard where the son who initially won't do anything eventually goes and he reaps the reward of his labour. It results in a living outcome. Do you know, right the way through scripture, God wants us to be the type of people who not only say with our mouths that we will do God's will when we know it, but be the type of people who do the task he sets before us with full trusting that he who sets the task will not lead us into a position of shame, But will fulfill the task he sets us. David models this type of faith incredibly for us here. When he knows God's will, he believes and he obediently acts, trusting in his Father. What's more important here, though, is to recognize that David keeps believing. God's command and promise to rescue when times get hard. If you look at verse 10, it tells us that one third of David's men found the task of pursuit too too difficult and had to give up the chase. But David did not become disheartened and give up when this happened. He had God's command to follow. Instead of giving up, he shows incredible compassion to those who cannot go on And continues to pursue on their behalf, for them, going to win their families back with fewer men. He does not become discouraged, but he continues to pursue the promise of rescue. So after the S and the I, David continued to bow. David's response here is a Sibbo response. He strengthened himself. He inquired. And then when he had a direction, he believed and he obeyed until God's promise was fulfilled. And what happens as he siboed the Lord? Well, let's just jump forward a bit. We're going to miss 16 to 20 out. Um, I'll come back to this hopefully in 10 minutes more um, because it shows another incredible side of David's leadership. But, but the outcome is found in 16 to 20. So let's just read that together. 16 and when david found the amalekite camp behold they were spread abroad broad over all the land eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil that had, they had taken from the lord uh, from the philistines from the land of judah and david struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day and not a man of them escaped except for 400 young men who mounted camels and fled david recovered All that the Amalekites had taken and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds and the people drove the livestock before him and said, This is David's spoil. I shared with you earlier a story of being broken into. The way that story actually ended, though uh, was brilliant. Uh, My mum, who was a social worker at the time, had an idea of who it was who had broken into our house. And the next day, she decided against all advice, all five foot three of her, to march round to the house of the lad uh, that she thought had taken our stuff and went to speak to his parents and demand our stuff back. She can be a fierce miniature lady when she wants to be. And and actually she managed as a result of her intervention to get a number of stolen items back on our behalf. Do you know, she was a hero on our behalf that day, taking back for us that which had been stolen as well. And this is exactly what we see happen here. Through Sibboing, David went on and got back. He rescued What had been taken for him and his men, and more. He plundered back that which the enemy had taken from him and want to spoil for himself and those following him by trusting in God. This allowed him to be faithful and bear fruit. Do you know, imagine if David hadn't sibbod here just for a second, if he just let the situation overwhelm him, if he'd just fallen into complaining despair and pity, if his own strength, as his own strength had failed, if he'd never inquired of the Lord and not believed and obeyed, the outcome would have been very different. I just want to pause here for a moment, because actually in this moment, as well as seeing the fruit of learning to Sibbo in these verses, we also get a beautiful imperfect picture of how Jesus wins a victory Uh, on our behalf that shouldn't be overlooked. David here went to get back that which was lost and in enemy hands on the behalf of others. Through a trust in God and his rescue plan, he won and shared a great victory with all who followed him, even those who were under observing and fell short. This is exactly what Jesus offers to you today at the cross, that he, like David, is one, on our beh- who is one who comes on our behalf, who follows God's rescue plan perfectly to bring back what the, sat- what the enemy, Satan, had taken, our access to God's fatherly presence, and free us from captivity to sin and the death that holds us all. This is what the cross is all about, him dying on our behalf, to free us from the captivity we are in. God sending a champion of faith to save us, who graciously shares the spoils of his victory with everybody, even if they are undeserving, when they follow him. So again here, we can't overlook that we see in David, the champion king of faith. He's only a shadow of the greater king to come, who opened the door for any to come and enter God's kingdom, his freedom, sharing his freedom and riches at the cross. Let's close up though, beyond that. Do you know, as we begin to close, I doubt any of us will be faced with a day as bad as David in our lives here. However, as Christians, we will all have really bad moments. We will all feel like we are drowning and our strength has reached its end sometimes. Or that something horrible has broken into our lives and knocked the stuffing out of us. We'll have times when we lose direction and don't know what to do. And we will have times when we feel weary in following God's presence and his rescue plan. These things are inevitable in our lives. Perhaps you're in one of these now. Perhaps lockdown has taken its toll on you. Health issues that won't go away have just exhausted you perhaps something in your life has collapsed family relationships marriage employment business streams Do you know or a hope that jesus initially gave you just hasn't worked out you're facing church challenges perhaps at these points in our lives we have two choices we either fall into despair and apathy and complaining and we give up or we learn to sibo. we learn to strengthen ourselves in his infinite resources inquire of him and his heart for a situation and when we hear get up in the newfound strength that we have and believe and obey our god again And the deep encouragement from David's story, the deep lesson from his life here is that we must learn to Sibbo. And as we do, God will give us fresh strength. He will give us fresh direction and he will faithfully lead us into fruitfulness and to be a part of his rescue plan. In these coming weeks, my encouragement to you then is to take time out to Sibbo in the Lord. Seek his strength, inquire of him, and then get up in faith, believe and obey. God bless you.